The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hello, and welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Mary J.S. Roth, PhD, PE. She's a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Lafayette College. We'll be talking about microbial-induced calcite precipitation, also known as MICP. We'll be talking about how it can help geotechnical engineers in their career, as well as how it can be beneficial to engineering students. I'm your host, Jared Green, and this is the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Professor, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Jared, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm doing very well this morning. It's been a while since we talked, so I was super excited that you said yes to come on the show. If you could, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your career journey to date? And then also, what do you do on a daily basis? Currently, I teach at Lafayette College. I actually graduated from Lafayette many years ago. And when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to teach. But I also knew that the best teachers I had had practiced, had been out and gotten their license and were PEs. And I thought, if I want to do this, that's how I want to do it. And I did go directly for a master's because I wanted to be in geotech. And I knew that if I wanted to get a good job in geotech, a master's would probably benefit me. So I did that. And then I had uh, a number of years where I worked for Woodward Cly Consultants, which was just a long time ago. They became part of URS and that became part of AECOM. Worked primarily on the East Coast. After I'd worked long enough to get my license and to take my sit for my PE exam, I went back for my doctorate. And so I began teaching at Lafayette College in 1991. Certainly was my alma mater, but I really wanted to be at a place that focused on teaching undergraduates. And Lafayette's one of the few places in the United States that offers a BS in civil engineering in a strictly undergraduate environment. So we have no TAs, we have all the teaching is done by faculty. And when the faculty need to and want to do research, we involve our students. And that really appealed to me, the ability of having my students involved in the things that I was looking into satisfy my own curiosity. The areas of research that I've been in have always evolved. They've always involved my students. I start out in the area of evaluation of risk related to geotechnical structures. I moved into the use of geophysical tools, and particularly earth resistivity testing, to investigate sites. I look very specifically at investigating sites in karst, because we've got that around here, and we had problems with sinkholes. And then starting in the early 2000s, I began collaborating with a microbiologist here at Lafayette College, Dr. Lori Kaslick. And we were investigating how we might take advantage of microbial communities that exist in all soils in order to modify the engineering properties of those soils. And we've worked primarily in the area of biofilms, which are the little microorganisms that make your teeth feel crappy in the morning, that film that forms, they're biofilms. And we've begun to work recently in the area of microbial-induced calcite precipitation. And they're both areas of work that fall in this larger field of biogeotechnics that I've become very interested in. 
So there's a lot to unpack there that somebody goes to school at their alma mater and then goes back to get the, I don't know if you want to say terminal degree, but this the PhD there. That's awesome. And then you also wanted to make sure that you're interacting with students. You're at a college that does that. There's the opportunity for the students to get research. I met you through a very interesting time where, if I understand correctly, you were going back into industry. And what do we call that? What That wasn't an intern, an extern. What was that called? I called it a faculty internship. A faculty internship. That was cool. Tell us a little bit about that. As part of my journey um, here at Lafayette, I spent eight years in higher level administration in a couple different positions. I ran, was head of the engineering division for a year, and then I moved into the provost's office. I was an associate provost for academic operations. And when I spun off of that and was coming back to the classroom, I realized that one of the things I really connected with with students in the classroom was the ability to tell stories about my field. I didn't have any new stories. It had been years since I had been talking to geotechs on a regular basis. So I reached out to Langen Engineering and talked to Mark Gallagher and said, can I come and spend time? I just, I want to go just hang out in the offices and see what's happening and talk to the engineers and find out what the projects are and go to some projects. So I did a faculty internship. It was great. It was wonderful. And it got me excited again about the field and what was happening. So we gave you some stories. You did. And you did an article that was uh, Geostrata, right? I believe in Geostrata, you had an article that captured that. I did. I thought it was something that a lot of faculty should consider at some point as you get farther and farther away from maybe that experience that your students are about to enter when they graduate. It might be good to touch base and go back and check it out for yourself and see what's happening. So cool. I remember when Mark was telling us and I was saying, how does that work? Like you should be teaching us. What are we going to teach you? You know, but it was really cool to just have you there and, and to put it all together. I've actually spoken with your students. Actually, we've hired some of your students as well. And it's, it's just cool to see how everything comes full circle. And then you're talking about a professor that's doing research with something that like biogeotechnics, I did not learn about that when I was in undergrad. I didn't learn about it when I was in grad school. Please tell us more about biogeotechnics. Like, how is that all working? So it's a fairly simple definition. It's becoming a subfield of geotechnical engineering. The focus is on developing technologies that have engineering applications that use either naturally occurring biogeochemical processes or that are inspired by any aspect of biology. There's a new engineering research center that was funded by the National Science Foundation on this area. It's the Center for Bio-Mediated and Bio-Inspired Geotechnics. It involves Arizona State, Georgia Tech, UC Davis, and New Mexico State University. We're, Dr. Castlake, my colleague here, and myself are partnered with them as well. And Dr. Castlake and I started our first NSF-funded research grant in the area of biogeotechnics in 2004. So we've been in, in this for quite a while. Uh, make sure I say it right, microbial-induced calcite precipitation. What is it? That's what we're currently working in. We started in the area of biofilms, but we moved over to MICP actually as a result of the pandemic, and that might not be a story you want to get into here. We just finished up a grant on with the National Science Foundation, and we were about three and a half years into the grant, and the pandemic started, and the work we needed to do for the biofilms we weren't going to be able to complete if we couldn't have students in the laboratories. 
And so we reached out, and because of our interactions with the Center for Biomediated and Bioinspired Geotechnics, the grant that we had had allowed our students to spend summers at the center working in their labs. So we had also gone out in those summers and met with the researchers and found out what they were doing. We had learned about MICP, and I'll talk more about what that is in a minute. And when the pandemic hit, we realized that if we pivoted our research into the MICP area, we would be able to involve our students, even if they were at home, in pretty significant research projects. So we talked to the National Science Foundation, got approval to make the switch. So we started working much more in that area. MICP takes advantage of a microbial process in order to bind soil particles together using calcite. And it's an alternative to traditional grouting. So if you have loose or weak soils or soils that are susceptible to liquefaction, it's a process that could be considered to help those soils become stronger. And the process requires the presence of large amounts of bacteria that create urease, which is a chemical. And if you have bacteria in your soil that create urease and you add urea, the urea splits the urea into ammonium, ammonia, and carbon dioxide. And these then become ammonium and carbonic acid. That increases the pH of the soil and creates an environment that will allow calcium carbonate to come out of solution and become calcite and bind soil particles together. Some of the original work in MICP involved growing all these bacteria in tanks and adding them to the soil. But the work that we do, we actually, those types of microbes, the microbes that actually create urease are present in pretty much every soil. And so we just take natural soil and we feed it yeast extract, ammonium chloride, sodium acetate, and urea. That encourages the growth of the right types of bacteria. And when we watch this growth and we monitor it, primarily by monitoring the pH of the soil, and when that pH goes up and we know we have a probably a good population of these bacteria now in the soil that we've grown because we've basically just fed them the stuff they like to eat. We then add calcium chloride to the soil and in that high pH environment, the calcite precipitates out and it binds the soils together. And so we can take a little bit of soil. We typically use a small tube. That's what we have our, st our students do. We feed it for a while, which is about a week. And then we change that. We add that calcium chloride in there. And at the end, we can push the little soil. What was loose soil comes out as a little tiny soil brick. And you can test that for its increased strength. It's pretty cool. So we had great fun with that. It's certainly a, a more environmentally friendly approach than grouting because grouting involves cement. And cement, the, the manufacturing cement is contributing to greenhouse gases. So that's a problem. And so MACP is an alternative to that. If we kind of scale that up to a construction site, is this going to be something that people are injecting in the ground? Are they spraying it? How are they feeding the bacteria? Like, what does that look like if I wanted to strengthen soil across a site? Well, they're still working on that. And, and they've done a couple of field sites. UC Davis and University of Washington have gotten a couple of field sites where they've begun to work this process in the field. And it is kind of like adding grout. You'll put a well in, you're going to inject the food into the soil. And then you're going to monitor the soil to make sure that you've got the right bacteria growing. And then when you're at that point, then you'll add the materials that allow the calcite to precipitate out. pH is the marker that, to see if it's improving at first? It's the easiest marker, yes. I mean, there's other ways to look at it, but it's the easiest marker. One of the questions we're now curious about is if you're going to use the naturally occurring bacteria, do those natural bacteria occurring bacteria happen everywhere? Yeah, so I was wondering, like, where? Yeah. Where this has evolved for us and what we're looking at is 
If we can figure out a way to have students in introductory geotechnical classes across the nation and around the world test their local soils, we might be able to find out much more about those types of bacteria, where they're located, and how well they work for this process. And so that got us into this whole idea of a course-based research experience. My focus here is at Lafayette has always been trying to involve students in research. And so this is where we're currently headed. The reality is that doing something like that, it's going to increase the amount of people that go into geotechnical engineering. That's fascinating. It's looking at soil mechanics and geotechnical engineering in a totally different light and from a totally different perspective. Because you're saying the bacteria is likely there already, right? You just have to find it, see where it is. Yes. Just have to know that it's there and make sure it's there so that you can use this process. Are there different depths at which you see more of it naturally occurring? Like, is it typically in the, the surface layers overburden, or, or we just don't know yet? It's a great question, Jared. We don't know yet. And the more we can get people to do this idea, again, of having students. So I'll move forward a little bit. We spent some time in the first few months of the pandemic creating basically a tabletop approach to doing MICP that anybody could do wherever they were. Then what we did is we had two classes at Lafayette. They were both being taught remotely in the fall of 2020. And one was a group of geotechnical engineers taking their intro to geotechnical engineering class. And the other was a group of microbiologists taking their microbiology class. And we asked, we sent those students all the stuff they needed. And in their, wherever they were living at the time, somewhere in their home, somewhere other places, we sent them a control sample of sand. And then we asked them to go out into their environment, the yard, wherever it was, and find another sample that they were going to use as their test sample. And they put those samples into small tubes, and they added it, and they added the the formula, the food, to grow the bacteria. And then they added the additional stuff that allows the calcite to come out of the precipitation and bind the soils. And then they could find out whether their soils had actually cemented or not. We collected all that information. So we got some great information from actually around the country. We've written a paper, uh, GeoCongress 2022. There's a paper and a presentation on what we did with the students. And from a timing standpoint, how long does it take to see the growth of bacteria and to actually see that process happen? Is this an important question? Because if you're going to do this, how long does it take? Hours? Is this weeks? Is this months? We've actually developed the process so it can go into a traditional kind of geotechnical lab course. So if your lab is Tuesday afternoon and you're meeting with Professor Roth, you know, Tuesday afternoon, the first week, you put your samples together and you start feeding it. You feed it every day. You have to come back in the lab or you take it back to your dorm room or whatever. And you feed it every day. The next Tuesday, we'll be checking it, making sure its pH has gone up to the right level. And seven days is typically enough. And we'll change that formula so that calcite starts to precipitate out. And they'll do that for seven days. And they come back in, drain the soil, allow it to dry a bit, take it out, and test it for its strength. So basically, it takes about 14 to 21 days, the whole process. You've had great experiences kind of working throughout the college. I didn't even know about the the provost experience. I'd love it if you could talk a little bit more about course-based research experiences. Yeah, they're actually phenomenal. So course-based research experiences provide opportunities for all students to have research experiences by including those experiences in their required courses. So they all have to do this. And the things that kind of define it is that the students need to be making discoveries that are of interest to stakeholders outside the classroom. And the results of their research have to become publicly available outside. So typically they're added to a large database. They're called CREs, 
course-based research experiences. They've been developed and used in biology curriculum for many years, but there's nothing really similar within the engineering programs. The best known one that exists out there now within biology is called CFAGES, and that's the Science and Education Alliance Phage Hunters Advancing Genomic and Evolutionary Sciences Program. Big word, so we just call it CFAGES. That's an impressive title. A very impressive title. But basically, introductory biology students, the students in their very first year of college, they collect a soil sample as well. And from that sample, they isolate a bacteriophage. And they use a whole lot of different methods to characterize what that phage is. And I'm not a microbiologist. I'm not really going to tell you what a phage is. But I will tell you that if you characterize them, and they do actually do DNA characterization, and you put that into a database, doctors doing research on a range of diseases can use that information to create treatments to help heal people that have various medical issues. So these students in the biology classes are using this process to contribute to this very large database that then can be searched by doctors who are trying to find phages that might actually help their patients. That's incredible. It is. It's wonderful. And our thought is not perhaps not quite the same as healing people. But if we can get our students to test soils from all over the world, we will learn and collect that into a publicly available shared database. We'll be able to have researchers or other students start to look at this database and really find out what soils does this process work well in? Are there particular bacteria that are in those soils that are different? There's a lot of things we could learn by gathering that information together and sharing it. The speed at which you'll get that information, it's a lot faster to do it this way as opposed to one researcher saying, I'm going to try to figure this out, right? Like, the data's out there. People are in school. They're taking the classes and the soil is there waiting for somebody to test it. To do it, to just to gather, to, well, to create the process and then to gather the data. And that's what we're in this beginning stages of trying to figure out how best to do that. Well, it looks like there's a lot of benefits there. I guess the students are getting you know, exposed to research, right? And then you're getting this database that someone else can draw from if they want to analyze those results. What's the process for developing a CRE? Well, you've got to have the idea and then you need to pilot it. And so that's where we've started. We started with the original pilot with our own classes and we learned stuff. We want to make sure we have a better handle on, even when you're using a control sample, how much variability results from the treatment process. Right now, we're making sure that we've got a couple students working a lab here on campus, and they're running a bunch of these in these little tubes in order for us to really understand better the natural variability that occurs, even if everything is very controlled. Same sand, same formulas, everything, and see how much variability is there. So we understand the variability we're going to expect when we go out further with the process. What are your next steps for this? So once we get that and we understand the variability, then we can move to probably another grant with the National Science Foundation to take this further. We've already talked to the Center for Biomediated and Bioinspired Geotechnics about the idea of having them with their students in all those institutions run this and we can see what it's like at different scales. So basically, it's a scaling up process. And we've already contacted DesignSafe and the folks who run that. It's part of the NARI project, which is about being the database where all this information would be collected and stored. And I understand there's some other benefits of CREs that you're telling me about. I'd love to hear more about those. So one of the things, because they've been running these course-based research experiences in the biology and other sciences, natural science areas, 
They've done a lot of research to see the impact these experiences have on students. And what they've found is that CREs are particularly beneficial for helping students from historically underrepresented backgrounds become interested and persist in the sciences. They've also improved the retention of those students being involved in research. They do this project initially, and then they want to do more research. They get excited about asking new questions and being curious and trying to do additional research. And it's actually increased the diversity of students engaged in research. So because it has this way of, it's a hook of getting students in and getting them to realize how important what they're doing, even in those intro courses, can be to the profession and to the things that they might want to do with their lives. If you're participating in something in in an intro level course and that information ends up in a database, it's going to be drawn from for years and years and years throughout the industry. You're a part of something bigger than your class. So there's a lot of benefits to these CREs. Thank you so much for elaborating. Really appreciate that. They really are. Before we take our break, what would you say is your final piece of advice that you'd like to give to engineers that are listening? And for context, we have people that are listening that are freshmen all the way through to professional engineers and and scientists. I'd say with respect to this project and any geotechnical engineer, student, practicing engineer should spend some time learning about some of the work being done in biogeotechnical engineering. And the CBBG website at Arizona State University is a great place to start. They've got a lot of great information up there and a lot of wonderful links to other people that are doing work in the similar area. So I think that's a really important aspect for everybody to become more familiar with it. And the second thing I'd say, it's much more generally, is that I think it's really good to just cultivate curiosity. I don't think we would have gotten to where we are with this project if we hadn't kept us asking questions about why and what next and how could this help our students? How could this help geotechnical engineers? All right, cool. So we're going to take a break here. Then we're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to close this one out with Dr. Roth and our Career Factor Safety In segment. Stick around. Welcome back. It's time for our career factor safety end segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Mary Roth. Dr. Roth, you've already had a very successful career. And when you look back at your career, what's one thing that you've implemented into your career to give yourself a factor of safety in your career? One of the primary things I've done is to just always indulge my curiosity, to allow myself to spend time to think about what might happen in addition, where could this go, how could I use this to help myself, my students moving forward. The moves I've taken in my research have always been driven by things that sparked a new level of curiosity. Moving from doing risk analysis in large computer models to looking at site investigation in KARST was because a building collapsed not too far from where I live. And I started getting really curious about how can that happen? How can we not find those features? And the whole curiosity that led to working in the area of biogeotechnics was at a conference one day and there's a bunch of folks talking and we were just chatting about where are the next steps that this profession might go? And somebody mentioned the idea of biology. And I said, can I run with that? I'd love to go talk to this microbiologist friend of mine and just brainstorm. And that set us down a whole new path. So I think indulging curiosity and letting yourself follow those thoughts through and think about where they might lead. The second thing 
So you only asked for one, but I'm going to throw a second one in there. Nah, I'll take two. Two is fine. Is I have been amazed at how much my own writing has gotten better because I help other people learn to write. Writing is an important skill, being able to communicate that way. And the more you learn about it, the more you read other people's writings, the more you talk to people about writing, the better you get at understanding writing as a way of communicating, convincing people, arguing, getting your ideas out there. It's not just about doing your own writing. It's about talking with others and helping others improve their writing that really helps improve your own. And as engineers, it's so important for us to make sure that we're good writers. <laughs> we don't just turn calculations over to the public, right? It's like we have to be able to articulate what we're finding and what our design solutions are. That's very important. Dr. Roth, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sharing all the great insights that you did with us. You shared great information and advice. I know it's going to be helpful for our listeners. And if there's a listener that wants to reach out to you, how can they find you on social media or a website or email you want to share? I'm certainly happy to share my email. There's a web page as well, but and that, we can put a link to that somewhere. But the email is just rothm, R-O-T-H-M, at lafayette.edu. And that'll go straight to me. Thank you so much. We'll make sure we have that in the show notes as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much for the invitation to do this. It's been a lot of fun. This was fun. We'll keep up the good work and we look forward to hearing more about all that you're doing there at Lafayette. Sounds great, Jared. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 36, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.